Well, welcome to Big Valley Grace, especially those of you that are visiting with us for the very first time. We're just really grateful you're, you're here. And a welcome over in the venue. Thank you, Pastor Brandon, for leading worship over there and leading the venue. And to the hundreds of you that are watching online, we're, we're grateful that you're, you're joining us. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, most, about 95% of all of the passages from Scripture that we'll look at, we always put in our, our little note section, or they'll come up on the jumbotrons, they'll even come up uh, on, the, on your screen at home. If you don't own a copy of the Word of God, uh, we'd love to give you one. All you have to do is walk into the altar room or go into the altar room over in the venue, and uh, we'd love to give you a, a, a copy of God's Word. Uh, one of the things uh, that happens when you put your little offering in there a minute ago, quite a few shekels every year go to purchase Bibles here. We, we buy hundreds and hundreds, cases and cases and cases of Bibles and give them out in all different kinds of events and things, and it's uh, one of the, the, the great things that we do is to put into your hands if you don't own a copy of the Word, uh, God's Word. And so if you need a Bible, go, go and pick one up, okay? Now here's the deal. When we're done here in a little bit, uh, we'll all go home and relax and kick back, uh, maybe do a little yard work, whatever it is we're going to do. And then at about 4 o'clock, you grab some chairs, you throw them in the back of your car, you put a picnic lunch together, and you make your way back down here at Big Valley Grace. Out on the ball diamonds out there, we've got all of these shade things out there. You may want to bring some of your own shade. Uh, we've got jumpers, I don't know, 10, 12 jumpers out there. There'll be games, a lot of fun, a lot of fellowship. It's our annual backyard picnic, and we, we want you to be there, okay? You, you can bring your own food, or, you know, we'll have, we've got a taco guy out there, we've got a pizza guy out there, we've got all kinds of food that you can purchase out there if you want. We'll supply all the water and all that kind of stuff, but you know, obviously you don't have to come for the, for the whole time, but come out there and spend an hour or two and just hang out and have some fun. Bring your kids, bring your grandkids or whatever. It starts today at uh, four o'clock, okay? Well, we're in a, a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're looking at the first part of what some people consider the greatest sermon ever preached, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It says this in Matthew chapter five and verse one. Now when he, and that's Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began teaching them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now as a reminder, the word blessed there is really the word happy. Um, so to be blessed is to be happy. Uh, when you read where Jesus says, blessed if you do this, or blessed if you do that, really what Jesus is saying is happy if you do this. You'll be happy if you do that. This, this little hunk of scripture, these 10 passages, is just super weighty. You, you have the creator, the one who thought and there was a planet. He just thought, and there were oceans. He thought, and there was a, I don't know, porcupine. <laughs> the one who created you in his very image, the creator, is telling us his creation, how you can truly be happy in life. And everybody's searching for it. There's all these crazy seminars and books that are written on how you can you know, be happy and all that kind of stuff in your life. And here we have the creator telling us, here's how you can experience real happiness. How you can experience a, a joy deep within your soul. 
How you can experience a, a contentment deep within your soul. You don't have to run around and, you know, do all these crazy things that are out there. He's telling us right here, here's how you can be blessed. Here's how you can be truly happy in, in life. And there's not one person alive that wouldn't give up almost anything to experience this true happiness, this joy that fills your soul completely, this deep inner contentment. And in these few verses right here, God gives us the key to finding real happiness, real, real joy, real contentment. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is where it all begins. I, I think that there's an order to the Beatitudes. They just weren't randomly thrown out there. I think there was a, a real order that the Creator had for us, and it begins right here. If you really want to find true happiness, if you really want to experience joy deep within your soul and a deep inner contentment, it all starts with this simple yet profound verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And here's the deal. I reworked it a little bit to help you understand it here, okay? Happy, joyful, content are those who recognize they are spiritually dead due to their sin. For then and only then will God invade their life and get, grant them entrance in his eternal kingdom. I hope that that may explain that, uh, uh, th those few words there in verse three a little better. Everybody's spiritual journey begins right here when you recognize that you're dead in your sins, you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt, you recognize that your sin has separated you from God, you recognize that you're poor spiritually. You cannot do anything to help fix the relationship between you and God. You recognize that. And that's a great moment. I remember that moment in my life, probably most of you in this room remember the moment when you said, you may not have used these words, but you recognized that you were poor in spirit. And you said, oh God, I need you in my life. And what happened at that moment is, is that the creator invaded your life again. He created you. You were made in his image, but sin had ruined all that. And when you recognize just how spiritually bankrupt you were, you invited God into your life and he came into your life. And at that moment, the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven was yours. At that moment, you now know you will spend your eternity with God forever. And let me tell you something. <laughs> Nothing will bring more joy and happiness and contentment into your life than when you know that you and God have made peace, that God is now in your life, that sin has been dealt with, and that you will spend your eternity with him forever. Then last week, we looked at verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I rewrote that too. Happy, joyful, and content are those whose hearts have been broken and are deeply sorrowful over their sinfulness. For they will be overwhelmed by God's comfort, his love, his forgiveness, and peace. Mourning over your sin, having a broken heart over your sinfulness grows out of the recognition that without God and his son in your life, you'd just be lost. So it begins by saying, God, I'm empty, I'm, I'm poor, I have nothing, and he comes into your life. And then you recognize, wow, what it took to make everything right. You recognize what sin had done to your own personal life. Ruined your relationship with him. You recognize what your sin has done to others' lives. Maybe your spouse's life. Maybe your children's life. Maybe your parents' life. You recognize the ugliness of sin. You recognize what it cost Jesus to come and forgive you of your sin. Imagine, here you have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's perfect harmony, 
perfect unity, there's perfect love, they create you, me. And the creation sins. The father has to look at the son and say, son, you've got to leave this beautiful, loving relationship. And you've got to go to planet Earth, become a man. And you're gonna to have to die a horrible death just to forgive people of their sin. Let me tell you something. When you really recognize how poor in spirit you are and you invite God into your life, it then does lead to mourning. Wow. It costs God his son to make everything right. And you get it. And it's at that moment in the midst of your mourning over sin that God floods your life with his forgiveness and grace and mercy, his comfort. And if you really want to experience real happiness in your life, you want to experience real deep joy in your life, wow. When you experience God's comfort because you've mourning, because you understand you know, sin and you're mourning over it, wow. There's nothing like that, is there, believer? to know that God has come and forgiven you of your sin. That is an unbelievable moment in the life of a, a, a believer. So anyway, with all this said, let's get into uh, today's message, okay? Jesus said this in verse five. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, one of the things that often happens when somebody reads this particular beatitude is that they don't understand what the word meek means. They, they misunderstand the term. In fact, a lot of people confuse it with another word that sounds just like it, and that's the word weak. See, meek sounds like weak, and nobody wants to be weak, which means nobody wants to be meek. And it's because they've misunderstood the term. But the truth is, meekness has nothing to do with weakness. In fact, let me give you a, a few words that might help you better understand what the word, word meek means, okay? Think of gentle. That's a good word. Think uh, tender-hearted. That's a good word. Think humble. The one that I like, I think, the most is the, the word submissive. Submissive. In other words, I, I, I kind of worked this one also. Happy, joyful, and content are those that submit their lives to God and humble themselves before him and allow him to control their every thought and action. For in doing so, this world and the world to come are theirs to enjoy. That helps, doesn't it? Let me remind you of what Jesus said about himself. He said this in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, our worship team read this passage to you. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, Jesus said, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And now Jesus is gonna give us a description of who he is. He says, for I am gentle, I am humble. You'll find rest for your souls. Look, here's the deal. Nobody's ever gonna question whether Jesus possessed great strength or was a good leader or had the, you know, he had the ability to influence people, yet he was very meek. He was very gentle. He was very hum humble. So obviously a, a person that is meek can possess great strength, can be a great leader. In fact, a meek person is often a very influential person. They, they, they can rally people to a cause. They can be people who have great convictions. This past week, I, I read two great definitions of, of uh, meekness. One was this, strength under control. I really like that. But I like the second one better. And it was this, it's strength bottled up for the master's use. And I really like that a lot. Um, I'm, uh, I got an egg here I'm holding. 
I have the power to bust this egg open. I have the strength to break it open. But I'm choosing to throttle back the strength. I'm choosing not to use the power and the strength that I have to make sure I don't break the egg. You see, I could break it. And if I were to break it, there'd be a mess all over my hand. There'd be a mess up on the stage. It would take some people a bunch of time and energy to come clean it and fix it, wipe it up. And that's what usually happens when you allow your strength to get out of control. It gets messy. Messes up marriages, it messes up families, messes up businesses. There's a big mess that comes along when you don't live humbly, when you don't live a meek life, when you allow your strength to get out of control. I have to deal with people all the time who have allowed their strength to get out of control. Their power was out of control and it messed up their life, it messed up their marriage, it messed up a lot of things. A meek person is simply someone that humbles themselves before God and allows him to control the power that they have within them, see? Jesus was a powerful man under the authority of his father. He was a powerful man that was under the control of his father. He submitted himself to his father, to to his father. He allowed the father to control the power that he had within him. Jesus said this in John chapter four, he said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. That, 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 that is where he got his nourishment. He simply was going to let God determine what he was gonna do with his life. He goes on and says this in John chapter five, by myself, Jesus said, I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but I only seek to please him who sent me. Jesus didn't come to fulfill his will. He didn't come to fulfill his plan, do his thing. He simply said, God, the Father, you're the one who's in charge of my life. I'm submitting my life to you. I'm only gonna do what you want me to do with my life. He said this in John chapter six, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus is in a a place of humility before the Father. He's simply saying, Father, you're the one who controls my life, you. I'm only gonna do what you want me to do, I'm only gonna say what you want me to say. Jesus said this in John chapter eight, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. All this to say that Jesus was in total submission to His Father. His power and authority came from His willingness to humble Himself before His Father. He allowed Himself to be under the control of the Father. Let me share with you two moments in the life of Jesus that I think really illustrate power under control. And the first one is found in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is just about ready to be betrayed. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. And it says in verse 47, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Most of these uh, Roman soldiers didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't care who Jesus was. So they wanted to make sure that they had the right guy, were arresting the right guy. 
And so Judas tells these guys, look, when I go up and kiss somebody, that's the guy. He's Jesus. He's the guy you need to arrest. So Jesus came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him a kiss. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you've come, do what you've come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him, but one of the, the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize I could ask my father for a thousand of uh, uh, angels to protect us? And he would he'd send them instantly? And that wasn't, that wasn't a joke. If Jesus wanted to, he could have said, Father, hey, I'm done. Send a thousand angels, and it wouldn't have taken a thousand angels. Wipe these guys out. But he didn't. He, he had the power to do it. He had the power literally, as he's standing there about ready to be arrested, to literally have their hearts stop beating. He's the one who keep, who's keeping their hearts beating at this time. He could have said, I want all the molecules that make up your body to just blow apart, and poof, they would have been gone like a mist. But he didn't. He knew that the Father had sent him for a purpose, and he's simply humbling, humbling himself before the Father, saying, God, it's your, your, your will, not mine. The second one's found in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus is on the cross, and it says the people passing by shouted abuses, shaking their head, heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled. You said you were going to destroy the temple and you know, rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he cannot save himself. So he is the, the king of Israel, is he? Let, let him come down from the cross right now and, and we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue, rescue him now if he wants him. For he said that I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. Here's the deal. Here you have Jesus on the cross and everybody's mocking him. It's just really crummy moment in history. And he had the power to break the egg. He wanted to. But he doesn't. He has humbled himself before God. Before the Father. And he's simply saying, your will be done in my life. Not mine. I mean, here, here's the Son of God. He... He could have just lightning bolts. You know, pick your favorite, you know, superhero. He's allowing the Father to control the power that he had. Unbelievable. Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Beloved, meekness and gentleness were the attitudes that the great apostle Paul patterned his life after because he knew that meekness and gentleness were two of the great characteristics of the life of Jesus, you see. In fact, I want you to write this down. Meekness is one of the great characteristics of a Christian because meekness was a great characteristic of Jesus. I want you to write that down or fill in the blanks or whatever it is. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter four, he said, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a, a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And then he says, always be humble. Always be gentle. Always have this attitude of, of meekness. Always be humble before your God. Always. Now when you think about the order of the Beatitudes, this is kind of the next logical step if you think about it, right? First you recognize you're poor in spirit. 
And so you invite God into your life, and then you mourn, you grieve, you're broken over sin and what it caused uh, you and those around you, and especially what it caused Christ, and then you simply humble yourself before him. You recognize he's the king. And if he's the king, we're the subjects. There's this beautiful kind of order to these Beatitudes. Now, let me tell you why this is so important, okay? Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the thought here is this, is that God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. God has a a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for my life. God God has uh, uh, some things that he wants you to accomplish, things that he wants me to accomplish. But we all have a, a huge problem. And here's the problem, is that you have a plan for your life, don't you? You have dreams for your life. You have things that you want to accomplish. In other words, you have your own will for your own life. And here's what you got to wrestle with. Who wins? Does God's plan for your life win? Does God's will for your life win? Or... Is your flesh so powerful that you go, you know what? I know God has a plan and a purpose, a, a will for my life, but I, I, I'm gonna, I, I like my plan. I got desires, man. My flesh has desires and I wanna live them out. I wanna fulfill them, kind of a thing. And there's always that battle that we as believers have to face. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, you don't have that battle. You just do whatever you want. Those of us that have given our life to Christ, those of us that have recognized that we're poor in spirit and we've invited Christ into our lives and we've mourned over what sin did, we're now at this place where we need to live humbly before the king, you see. But we still have our flesh to deal with. Christian, the only way you'll ever live out God's plan or purpose for your life is if you humble yourself before God and you submit your life to him and his plan for your life. You see, you have the power to do your will. You have the power to do your plans and fulfill all your desires. You have that power. But somebody who really understands the Beatitudes, who understands that they're poor in spirit, they understand sin and they grieve over it. You know what? They understand that they have the power, but they humbly give that over to Christ. And say, you know what? I got plans and I got dreams and I have desires and some of them may be good and some of them are evil, but it doesn't matter, God. I only want to do what you want me to do. All I want to say what you want me to say. I want to be like Jesus and submit my life to you, Father. It's kind of a thing. The great prophet Micah said this. He said, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. If you really understand that you are poor in spirit, if you really understand the impact that sin has had on you and others, and especially Jesus, walking humbly before God is a pretty, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Our brother James said this, he said, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. You see, a a humble person cares way more about, you know, what God thinks than anybody else. And by the way, you can be a a follower of, of, of Jesus and have God oppose you. 
And if there's one person you don't want to be in opposition with, it would probably be God. You see, as a follower of Christ, you know, you, you, you could say, man, I recognize I'm poor in spirit and uh, I'm broken over my sin and life just kind of goes on. You don't keep your nose in the word of God. You're not studying the word. You're not, you're not in the word and all that. And before you know it, it's like, you know what? God, I don't like you being the king. I don't like being the subject. So I'm gonna become the king and I'm just gonna live my own way. I don't care what you say. I'm gonna do it my own way. And at that moment, when you have that kind of prideful attitude that, you know what, I'm the king, not you. Oh, I'll let you be the king in a few things, but there are some things, you know what, no, I'm the king. The Bible says that you are now in opposition to God. Not a good place to be. I can tell you, in my 30 years of being a follower of Jesus Christ, there have been some moments when I've been in opposition to God. I knew what his word said clearly, and I just chose to be the king. Let me tell you something. When you're in that place, you don't experience real happiness. You don't experience that deep, deep joy. You don't experience that deep contentment when you're trying to be the king of your life. You can't because you're in opposition to God, you see. Philippians chapter two gives us a really great example of what humility looks like. The Bible says don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to the Father and died a criminal's death on a cross. That, that's the attitude of someone who understands meekness. We just simply say, you're the father, I'm not. You're the father, I'm your child. You're the king, I'm but your subject. And so I will humble myself and follow you. That's what I'll do, just like Jesus did. And now let me give you three thoughts that I, I think will, will help you keep humble or, or keep meek, okay? These might be commitments you might wanna make. And the first one is this. Make Jesus the undisputed leader of your life. I think that's where it begins. Will you simply say, I am going to make Jesus the undisputed leader, the undisputed king of my life. You see, I think for too many believers, Jesus is high up on the totem pole. He's number two or number three. But he's not the undisputed leader of your life. And when he's not the undisputed leader of your life, let me tell you something. There's no such thing as living out a meek life. There's no such thing as humility, humbling yourself when he's number two or three. God doesn't want to be number two or three in your life. He doesn't do number two or three real, real well. He wants to be number one. And I, I think this whole idea of humility and meekness and, and, and being submissive begins with making that declaration. As far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord kind of a thing. He, he's the undisputed king of my life, of my business of my home, in Matthew chapter 16, it says this, then Jesus said to his, his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. <laughs> That's hard, huh? Some, some people can't do it. 
You gotta take up your cross, and that doesn't make much sense to us, so let me, let me change it. You gotta take up your gas chamber. You gotta take up your electric chair. You gotta take up the needle, because that's how we you know, tend to uh, you know, kill bad guys in our culture. You see, the cross was how the Romans killed people. It was their method of capital punishment. And so what Jesus is saying is, here's the deal. You really want to follow me? Here's it. You don't matter anymore. Your will, your desires, your dreams. You got to put them all aside. Follow me. You got to be willing to die for me. You got to be willing to take up the gas chamber because you may die following me when I'm the undisputed king or leader of your life. You, it may cost you your life. It, it, it very well may cost you your life. And then you follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll just lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you, you, you'll save it. That's pretty weighty, isn't it? I'm not sure the American church gets that all that much. That when you become a follower of Jesus, you just don't tack them onto your life. He becomes your life. He's not an add-on. He says, when you understand that you are poor in spirit, that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you have nothing to offer, at that moment when you cry out to me, guess what, I'll come in, I'll invade your life. Kingdom of heaven is yours. I think too often, some moment our flesh just gets the better of us and we start thinking, hey, I'm a pretty good guy now. I'm a special person. And God's going, no, 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 you're really not. I'm, I'm special. And I want to be number one in your life. And everybody needs to maybe come back. That's something we ought to do every morning. You know, when you wake up in the morning, go, okay, God, here's the deal. I'm remaking my commitment to you. You're the undisputed leader of my life. Because your, your flesh is always ready to go. Your flesh is always ready to jump in and go, here I am. Let me be it. And to wake up every day and say, Jesus, you're it. You're the king. You're the king. Number two, or the second thing you need to do is this, and they kind of go hand in hand, but you you make God's word the ultimate authority in your life. So first you say, Jesus, you're it. You're the king. You're, You're the undisputed leader of my life. Well, then, obviously, then this has to become the ultimate authority in your life. Because, you know, anybody in here ever met Jesus like for coffee somewhere? No. The only reason you even know anything about Jesus is because of this book. El Capitan doesn't tell you about Jesus. El Capitan will tell you there's a God. Looking at a porcupine, I can go, man, there's gotta be a God. Look at that thing, man, that's just weird, man. I mean, I, don't, I mean, how can these two things reproduce? I mean, I, I don't even know how that would work. But it's got to be a God. doesn't tell me about Jesus, though. See, the heavens do declare the glory of God. There's no doubt about it. You, you can't look at creation and go, man, there's no God. <laughs> Obviously, there's a God. But see, all of creation doesn't tell you about Jesus. There's only one place you know about Jesus. There's only one place you know about the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God. There's only one place that will tell you that you're spiritually bankrupt and apart from God because of you. There's only one place. A Gerber daisy just tells you that there's a God and there's nothing wrong with going, wow, unbelievable God created here. This is just great. Man, you can tell that God must be creative. When you look at a Gerber daisy or man, you look at the stars and the moon, wow, God must be powerful. Yeah, there's some things you can learn about God when you look at nature, no doubt about it. But this is the only place where you learn how that the creator wants you to live. This is it. And that's why for, you know, the 30 years I've been at this church, every Sunday or Saturday night, we look, we read from this book. All of our men's ministries, women's ministries, everything we do kind of points you to this book. It's in this book that we learn about the Lord, how he wants us to live. 
This book is filled with stuff. Hey, live like this, God says. Do this with your life. Man, be like this. Get involved with these things. And God says, no, 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 don't do these things, though. Don't get involved in these things, though. Remember, I'm the king and you're the subjects. If I'm the undisputed king of your life, you know, leader of your life, then it's super important that this becomes the ultimate authority in our life. Now, what's happened in, in Christianity today, maybe it's been around forever, is that this, for a lot of Christians, is an authority. It's one of many authorities. Many Christians will go, oh yeah, yeah, man, there's a lot in here that I just go, wow, that's fantastic. But you know, Oprah has some really great things to say. You know, she walked on coals, hot coals. Tony Robbins, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's like a guru guy. So, hey, Gandhi, you know. Buddha, he had some great things to say. You know, had an eating problem, but he's a good guy, you know. <laughs> and so, this just becomes one of many truths, many pieces of authority in our lives. And for a believer, that, that just can't be the case. If, if, if you recognize you were spiritually poor, you recognize that you had nothing to offer God and he's the one who came into your life, then, then he has to have the last word in your life. He has to. You see, we all have to have a GPS system or North Star for our life, if you will to know what truth is, and this is it. And God in his word says all kinds of things. The Bible says over and over and over again, don't, don't engage in premarital sex. That's God's word. Don't do it. And at that moment, you got an option, right? Well, the king says don't do this. And so I'm gonna humble myself, and I'm gonna live that way. Or you can say, yeah, you know what, I don't like that one. That's out of date. That's your interpretation. You can do that. Interesting how our flesh will manipulate the scriptures to get to the point to where you can tolerate your sin. We're living in a time when preachers will get up and they'll, they'll take the clear teachings of the word of God and they'll do these, these theological gymnastics to somehow let everybody know that certain things are okay because you know what? People want a God that will tolerate their sin. Because we'll feel better. Okay, whew. That preacher says, this is okay, I can, I can do this. I can have premarital sex, I can, you know, marry somebody of the same sex as I am. I just, okay, well, I found somebody, I found the person. Oh, thank you, thank you for sharing that because man, I, I had to find somebody because I got, I, I got this thing I gotta deal with in my life. See. But God and his great love for his creation always makes sure that there are churches like this one and others that will stand up and will just simply tell you the truth about the word of God because it's the most loving thing that I can do. If I know you're headed for a cliff and you're gonna fall off the cliff and die, the most loving thing that I can do is say, quit walking that way. See, that, that, that's a loving thing to do. You may not like it. There's a lot in God's word that I don't like, but it doesn't matter. I've made him the undisputed king, the undisputed leader in my life, which means this becomes the ultimate authority in my life. And here's the deal. There'll be lots of it that you won't understand. And that's okay. And frankly, God doesn't care whether you understand it or not. He really doesn't. Um, I was thinking of our, our kids, you know, Gracie's right down here, and when our kids were all little, and all of us that have been parents had this moment, we had the oven on, or the stove on, and it's all red and hot, and our children, <laughs> they come in, 
and they start to go for the red hot burner, and we say, no, no, Gracie, you know, I don't want you to go by that hot burner, it's hot, but she doesn't understand it. She, it looks like licorice, all rolled up. And so I put her in the living room, and a few minutes later, she comes in, no, 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 sweetheart, I don't want you to touch that. She doesn't understand, and that's okay. And I put her in the living room. And then there comes a moment when my, my mercy and my grace runs out. And she's going in there again, and I pick her up and go, you're not going in there again. I'm telling you right now. Because see, I know what will happen if she touches that hot burner. I understand she doesn't. And I don't care whether she understands it or not. I know what's best. Don't touch the hot burner. And so there'll be many things that you will read where you'll go, well, I just don't understand that. That's okay. Just don't do it. Now, there will come a moment as you study the scriptures and you're in Bible studies, Today, Gracie doesn't run in and touch the hot burner. Why? She gets it. She understands now. There was a time she didn't. I, I know some of you don't understand, and that's okay. There was a time in my life where I didn't understand much of it. But as you come to church and you grow and you go to Bible studies and you listen to preachers and you, you do those kinds of things and you get into small groups or whatever it is, you go, oh, I, now you understand. Oh, that's why God said I shouldn't do that. Or that's why God said I should do this. But here's the deal. I don't care whether you're a believer for 100 years. If God says don't do it, I don't care whether you understand it or not. Just don't do it. This has to become the ultimate authority in your life. This. It's the truth, see? It's this. And, and number three, and I added this one kind of at the last minute. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did. You, you, you make Jesus the undisputed king of your life. You make the word of God the ultimate authority of your, your life. And then you make serving others a, the, 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 the top priority in your life or a top priority in your life. The, the, there's this prayer in John chapter 17 that's always um, fun to think about. It's interesting to meditate on it and just to kind of rattle it around in your brain. It says this, Jesus is praying. Now, now listen to me, listen, listen. I know you filled in the last blank, but I don't really care about that. I want you to pay attention here, we're not done. You filled in the last blank, but we're not done yet. This is serious, this is some serious stuff here. He's praying and he says this. He said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So here you have Jesus praying. He says, hey, Father, I don't want you to take the believers out of the world. I, I don't want you to take countrymen out of the world. I just want you to protect them. Now here's the deal. Um, if you've got a half a cell working, you understand just how evil the world is, how wicked and, and evil and sinful and crummy planet Earth is. I mean, it's just depravity is everywhere. You just, oh, I just, this place is just crummy. And here we have Jesus saying, Father, don't, don't take your countrymen out of the world. I, I want them there on that pinhole on a map called Modesto, California. Just protect them. Just watch out. Now you gotta go, hmm, wonder why. Wonder why he wants us here. What's the point? I mean, why is God? Obviously I'm not. <laughs> Things would be a mess. But if I was God, you know what? If, when someone gave their life to Christ, I'd just bring them up to heaven. Just bring them up here, get them out of there. That place is evil, it's wicked, it's crummy, it's goofed up, messed up. It's hard, it's not easy. A lot of pain, a lot of sorrow. But Jesus doesn't want that for us. He wants us here. 
I think there's lots of reasons, but one of them, without a doubt, is, is that he has a plan for your life. That's why he wants you here. He has a will for your life while you're on planet Earth. He has some, some things that he wants you to accomplish while you're here. It isn't just, well, you know, uh, I got saved, you know, I realized I was poor in spirit, and man, I understand my sin goofed things up, and now I'll just come and, you know, sit here all day long and listen to scriptures and go home and then come back and listen to scriptures. And, oh, he has something he wants you to do with your life. He has a plan, he has a will for your life. And part of that is he wants you to use your one life to serve others, to give your life away. The Bible's crystal clear that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And right now, most of you in this room are being blessed because there are other people who decided they were gonna serve. And so they're, they're holding maybe your baby. Maybe they're in there teaching your second grader. Um, maybe they are a mentor to your teenager. Uh, maybe they play in the band or sing in the choir. Maybe they're a part of the parenting team or the premarital team. They're a part of the counseling team. They're a part of the altar team. There, there are people who made a decision that, you know what? <laughs> the king was a servant, and so I'm going to use my one life to serve too somewhere. Um, I told you the story a, 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 a while ago. I don't know if Gracie will remember it, but it has to do with her. I don't know why I'm picking on you today, Grace, but... When she was just little, just a little thing, uh, we found a mouse in the backyard, okay? And so, being big game hunter, I, I got a trap. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I make fun of this, but it's the truth. I, I'm kind of clueless when it comes to things like that. And so, most of you guys, most of you gals, you pick one of those traps up, and the thing's on it, and you go and set it down, right? I can't ever get the thing the little thing that holds the little thing. I can't get it to wedge right, and so, snap, snap. And it's just, it took like an hour, and I finally, you know, get the trap ready. Back off, everybody! Don't vibrate anything, you know? And I got my one trap, and I'm, you know, 30 minutes to the front door, you know, and I open the door, stay back! This thing could snap at any moment. Lose a finger! You know, and I finally find the, the place and I put it down, you know, and it's like, okay, whew, we're golden. It was a little bit later on, I decided I'm gonna go out and check the, the trap. See, see if, you know, I've caught anything. See if breakfast is ready for tomorrow, you know? <laughs> so I go around looking for a flashlight. <laughs> At this moment in our life, the worst place to be if there was ever a nuclear holocaust or the lights go out or brown out or so the, the Russians invade is my house because I'm unprepared for anything. I'm looking around for a flashlight. I can't find a flashlight anywhere. It was like, we've got to have a flashlight. What if there's a brown out? What if there's a, you know, the Russians invade? What do we do? <laughs> Finally found a flashlight. Click, 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 click. Now, I know nobody's ever used the flashlight. Guarantee it. Click, 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 click. Nothing. So I undo it. I got to figure out. Maybe there's no batteries. Batteries are just all corroded. It's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So you Google it. Why do my batteries corrode? And here's what's interesting. The reason batteries corrode is because they haven't been used. You see, all the power that's within those batteries is supposed to be used. And when they just sit inside of a tube and they don't ever use the energy that's in them, they begin to corrode. Now, for those of you that don't get what I'm saying here, is this is kind of like the tube for some of you. You're here. And I don't have any doubt that you love Jesus, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't an indictment on your loving Jesus. But you sit here week after week and you're just kind of corroding. You're not experiencing that deep joy, that contentment that God has for your life. And it's simply because you just come and sit. 
And there's so many places here where you could use your gifts and your talents and your abilities. And man, this, you're unbelievably created. And God got this plan for your life, this will for your life. And I know for some of you have a hard time knowing what exactly that is. And you could sign up for the next shape class. Come and let Pastor Allen help you figure out where that is. Or just jump in somewhere. And some of you know you're supposed to be in the band. Some of you know you're supposed to be helping third graders or in the parenting ministries. You know you're supposed to be mentoring kids. You know it. But you've been sitting here. And maybe this is the moment to get off of the fence and say, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use my one life in service of others. I, I, a uh, long time ago when I was in high school, my mom and my stepfather owned a, a house. It, it was out in the country, but it, it's not in the country anymore, but it was at about four acres of land. And they had horses out there. And I used to go out there, I used to take my 22, and I'd go out and go out through their backyard and go all the way to the back fence. It was a, you know, a, Bob wire fence, and I'd hop over the fence, and I'd go out and shoot things, you know. Well, one day I got there, and no one was home, and I go in the backyard, and there were, I don't know, hundreds of sheep. And they had leased out their land, the five acres or whatever it was, to a guy that had sheep. And I didn't know what was going on, and so I make my way across the field, and I got to the back fence, you know, I had bob wire, but now there was this other wire and, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know what it was. I don't have a clue. My last name was Countryman, but I don't know anything about the country. I don't know anything about any of that kind of stuff. And so I'm going, that, I wonder what this is for. And I figured it might have had something to do with the sheep. And so I, I grab it. And it, it, it doesn't do anything because at that moment, electricity, it was electric fence, just pulsated around. So it, t it takes a while for it to get there. It's not like there's a constant flow of electricity. So I grab a hold of it and huh, that's weird. So I strapped my rifle on the back of me, you know, and now I'm starting to climb over the thing. Okay, I grab a hold of the thing, and I'm about halfway. Okay, and the, ah! and it was like, whoa! I'm not kidding. I jumped off, and it was like, whoa, whoa! And I thought maybe I grabbed a hold of like one of the bob wire things, and I was going, man, what was that? And and then I'm thinking, well, maybe a yellow jacket bit me or something, you know? That was. You know, that was weird, and I thought, well, maybe it's the fence, and so I grabbed the fence again. <laughs> Nothing. And I'm just, you know, totally clueless high school kid, <laughs> gun strapped to my back, you know, loaded, fully loaded, you know, unbelievable. So I get on the thing again, I start the process, and I, you know, <laughs> and I remember flying off it, going, whoa. <sighs> This is, you know, well, you know, what's going on here? Well, obviously later I called my mom and said, man, mom, what is it? And she goes, well, there's a fence. And it, well, no, there's not electricity going through it all the time. It just, and it, you know, if you hold it long enough, it gets you. Otherwise the sheep would stick their neck there and they, they die. It has to be, oh, well, sure. Any dumb guy would know that, you know? I know that. You know. Anyway, my point is, is this, is when that electricity kind of went through me, I had a choice to make. I, I couldn't ride the pine anymore. I had to go one side or the other. It, no, no more while I'm here or am I here. It was, just, it, was just, it was this defining moment. And my prayer has been that somehow as we've gone through this today, that the great teacher, the Holy Spirit, that indwells you, Christian, would be like that electric fence in your life. <laughs> that you know what, today, I know I'm looking out and man, there's so many of you that serve in so many places and I'm, I'm just grateful for it. You're great people, you really are. But for some of you, I hope that the Holy Spirit would somehow, <laughs> maybe it's not right now, Maybe it'll be tomorrow, maybe it'll be Monday, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and all of a sudden you're reflecting back on the message and some of these passages and all of a sudden, whoop, and you go, whoa, I'm corroding and I need to use my life in God's purposes somewhere, somehow. That's been my prayer for you over in the venue that somehow God would use this moment in all of our lives 
you know, maybe it's to get you off the fence of whether Jesus is going to be the ultimate, you know, undisputed leader of your life. Quit, quit goofing around. Just make the commitment. Hey, I, look, I don't care if you read other books. There's nothing wrong with reading other books. But make this the ultimate authority of your life. And get off the fence. Let this be the, 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 the North Star for your life kind of thing. Okay, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up over in the, the venue. Father, thank you, Lord, for today. And, man, this whole weekend, God, I've really enjoyed it a, a bunch. I've enjoyed the singing and the music and the fellowship. And thank you for your word, God. It's just so rich. And I hope that somehow, Lord, that I've helped maybe these folks understand a little bit more about what it means to be, to be meek. God, give us a great time this afternoon as we gather in fellowship out at the picnic, God. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord bless you guys.